a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, author Ben Tejada Ingram comes by to talk about his book, The Last Dinosaur of the Lost World, My Search for Little Nessie. Now, guys, this is an awesome story. We go down the possibilities of cryptids in Venezuela, and it is so cool. This is just one of the coolest things, and we haven't really done cryptids on the show yet. It's been on the list, but also uh, you will love this because of his Bigfoot encounter that he tells tells us about. So all the ways, of course, to find Ben will be located down in the show notes. You guys make sure and check his book out. Uh, also, if you want to check the show notes for our affiliate links. So Food Forest Abundance is down there. Libsyn, if you want to start your own podcast, if you're going to buy anything on Amazon, go ahead and run it through our link. It helps the show. Also, if you want to expand your experience with us here at the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com, also linked down in the show notes. That's going to be where the links for all socials, Rockfin, merchandise, all that good stuff, guys. So check that out. All right. So without any further ado, let's get to this amazing conversation with Ben Tejada Ingram. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the show, we have Ben Tejada Ingram, who is known as Anomaly Hunter on Instagram and Facebook. All of that stuff will be linked down in the show notes, of course. You, brother man, wrote an awesome book, and we are going to have a great time talking about some cool cryptids. Let me get this for the video version. There we go. Okay. Uh, this, of course, guys, there it is, uh, will be linked down in the show notes. Make sure you'll check this out. The Last Dinosaur of the Lost World. Now, this is an interesting story, man, and I can't wait to get into this with you. So... For my audience that may not know who you are yet, uh, if you don't mind, just introduce yourself for us. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you, Brandon, for having me on your show. You do an amazing job. I'm a big fan so far, and I appreciate the invite to be here. And so my name is Ben Tahada Ingram, and I'm basically just a normal person, but I've always had a fascination with the unknown, we shall say. I've always been interested by subjects like UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, monsters, all that good stuff. So, you know, basically for a long time, that was it. It was just a fascination. I watch TV shows all the time. I watch all the ancient aliens, ghost shows, everything like that. And so uh, recently I actually did write this book, but the thing about it was I never really planned on writing a book. It was just some something I was looking into. I've been researching it for a very long time now. And you know, I actually researched most of it about four or five years ago. Now I've just been sitting on it since then. I didn't really know what to do with all this. And I kind of realized, wow, I have a lot of interesting information here. And the thing about this book, this story is it's something that no one has ever heard of. Like 
almost no one has heard of this one. So, you know, I thought I could do a YouTube video. I could do like a blog post, but I kind of realized there's so much to go over. I could actually put it all into a book. So that's why I did. And the rest is history. Well, it's an awesome book, and you it's a very, very cool story. And you're right. Uh, the reason I wanted to have you on is, number one, great, great information. And you you and I align in the things that we research, as well as uh, this story, this book, and thank you again for sending it to me, uh, is awesome. It's such a cool story, and it just makes the mind go. It is such a thank wonderful— it, it really is such an awesome thought experiment, man. So what brought yeah, I'm you to really, this? I'm really excited to hear you say that. That means a lot to me. Well, it's a, it. it's a super cool story, and you and I are going to get into it because there's tons of questions I've got for you oh, on yeah. this. But but let's start with the the book. Let's let's talk about your book. So what got you? Uh, what got this on your radar in the first place? So this all started way back in 2007. At the time, I was just researching lots of stuff on the internet, you know, like we all do, like conspiracy theories, aliens, and. So I started to look into uh, cryptozoology and I've always been fascinated by dinosaurs. So I must have typed into Google like dinosaur cryptids or something like that. And so I came across a post on a message board. The message board does not exist anymore. It was a Google Earth board. And the post is titled Dinosaurs Alive in the Lost World. So I click and I'm like, that looks interesting. And that's how it all started for me. So um, a little bit of background here. The author of the post is a Venezuelan archaeologist. His name is Jose Miguel Pere Gomez. And um, he's talking about this amazing, amazing location, the site of the tallest waterfall in the world, Angel Falls. It also happens to be the real life inspiration for the movie Up, like almost everything you see in Up is actually based on this location. And what it is, is it's a tabletop mountain. It's a plateau basically, and it's huge, it's massive. It's like miles, miles high and it's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so this exact spot was also where Arthur Conan Doyle um, it's where he was inspired to write The Lost World, his famous book. And his idea was, you know, there's this place that's outside of normal bounds of the world. And so whatever is up on this mountain has to be something that doesn't exist anywhere else. And he thought maybe dinosaurs or prehistoric creatures could live there. So anyway, that's the location we're talking about here. So in the internet post, this guy, uh, Jose Miguel Pere Gomez, he's talking about he is an explorer. He just in his spare time, he goes looking, he goes hiking up there. And you actually you actually have to take a helicopter to get to the top. Um, and before that, you have to take a, I think, a four day long trip by boat from the nearest city. So it's very, very remote, very isolated, very hard to find or even get to. And so he's an explorer, you know, he's been up there, he's explored the area. And so he meets this hermit and the hermit is living in this tiny little hut on a river and it's on the way to the plateau. And, you know, he 
stops by and he makes friends with the hermit. The hermit's a nice guy. And over the years, they develop a friendship. And so this hermit starts telling him stories. And some of them are, you know, stories about animals he's, he's seen. And so he tells Jose Miguel, he tells him a story about a very strange animal. He's like, he says, this thing, I saw it up on the top of the plateau along a riverway. It was out sunbathing on the rocks and um, it was about three feet long. It has a very long neck and it has flippers instead of feet. And, uh, you know, I saw it for a moment and, you know, then it jumped in the water. I kind of chased after it, but that was it. And it was very weird. I don't know what it was. And so the, uh, the archeologist, he's very intrigued by this because it sounds like he doesn't know what it is either. So the hermit, he actually says, oh, I have a picture of it, a drawing of this thing. So he shows it to him and um, Jose Miguel is stunned. He's flabbergasted. Like this is an animal that should not exist. It is a, it looks like a plesiosaurus. If you know what that is, it's basically what you picture the Loch Ness monster looking like. It's this, it's not technically, technically a dinosaur, but it's a creature that lived during the age of the dinosaurs. And, you know, it's a, this carnivorous reptile with the long neck and the flippers and they're, you know, long gone, they're extinct. So Jose Miguel, Miguel Gomez, Pere Gomez, you know, he doesn't know what to think about this. So he says to himself, I'm going to find out the truth. I'm going to find out if this thing is real or not. So, a couple of years later, he goes on another expedition, a solo expedition, and he's exploring, like this is all a totally unexplored place. Like there's been some science expeditions, but not very many. It's totally unknown what's up there. And uh, he finds, he ends up finding this lagoon. It's kind of like a um, small lake and there's some rivers that attach to it. Two different rivers feed into it. And then another river leaves it. So he's like, this is a great spot. Like, I'm going to check this spot out. So he makes camp there. He camps out for five days. And uh, he's looking for this creature. He wants to know if it's real. And at the end of the very last day, he wakes up in the morning and he looks. And 30 meters away from him, he sees it. And, you know, that's a little ways away, but it's unmistakable what this thing is. And I think, I think when you see something like that, you're kind of in shock at first. You don't necessarily have the reaction time to snap a photo. But anyway, he goes for his camera and the thing, you know, of course it disappears into the water and it's gone. So then, then he has to leave. So he goes to the um, extraction point where the helicopter's gonna, gonna meet him. And so he tells the pilot, can you fly back over the same little lagoon? I want to see if I can snap some photos from the helicopter, which he does. And he doesn't realize until later that one of the photos has something in it. It has something sticking out of the water. It's like a long curved shape, a neck. It looks like in the little head there. You can't say for sure because this is a moving helicopter and the picture is a little bit blurry, but there's something there. So, you know, He's seen it with his own eyes, and that's his story. He writes this very long post on the message board, 
And at the end, he goes on to st- say that, you know, I, I've been looking at the fossil record and it does turn out that there is a miniature version of a plesiosaur called a leptocladus. I might be saying that wrong, but it's a miniature variety that is only three feet long. It's perfectly matches the description and what he's seen himself. And he finally goes on to state some other people have seen this thing. There's a, uh, there's a pilot who's very well known in our country. He's one of the best pilots. He's seen it. And there's a university professor from the University of Caracas, Venezuela, who's seen it as well. So, and that's it. That's the end of the post. And so me, I'm a teenager. I'm reading this. And I don't really know what to think. It's like, it's, it's kind of cool. It's amazing, actually. But I don't know if I believe this. This is incredible. But is it true? Who knows? Like, how can you know? So that was that for me at the time. And I, I don't know. I just kind of let it go. I always thought, oh, man, that's an amazing story. But who knows? Like, how can you know? So fast forward 2017. I don't know why, but. I've always remembered this story and it's always been in my mind, like the back of my mind. So I decided I want to find out if it was true, if this guy is making it all up or if he's telling the truth. So I managed to look, look up Jose Miguel Perez Gomez on Facebook and I write him a message and I ask, ask him about that story. And he's like, Oh yeah, it's real. Absolutely. I've seen this thing. I can, you know, I can vouch for this. It's a true story, but I haven't been able to go back yet because of the political economic crisis in our country, which is a whole nother subject. It's uh, crazy what has been going on in that country. But in any case, um, you know, I was intrigued. So I'm like, okay, I, I pull up the article and I look at the other names of the other people. And I thought to myself, if other people can verify this story and tell me their experiences, then I might believe this. So that's basically what my book is. It's my kind of journey to find out whether or not this was true and if this actually happened. And let's just say I don't want to get into all the other people I talked to, but I found more than I was hoping for. and. I found more that points in the direction of the animal being real. And the people I've talked to aren't at all people who would make up a story. Jose Miguel Prey Gomez, I go into his background because I want to think, like, can we trust this guy? And, you know, he's a university educated archaeologist. He has um, written scientific papers. He's made all these amazing discoveries. And, you know, for example, like, When you are an academic, it does not benefit you in any way to make up some kind of story like this about a monster, about some kind of weird subject. Like, you just don't do that. It doesn't look good for you. So, you know, I I go into all that. And fortunately, I believe the people I spoke to and talk about in my book are all kind of similar. They have impressive backgrounds, to say the least. They they really are. Well, it's a fascinating story, man. And this is why it's so cool. It just makes the, makes the mind wonder. Now, for uh, the listening audience, just for context, and you do put this in your book, that's where I got this. Uh, 5,000 feet is the rise of that plateau where Angel Fall falls from, as well as it's got a surface area. That plateau has a surface area of 257, oh, it's massive. It, yeah, it's like, 257 sorry. square miles. 
Yes. That like, is this wild. thing is it's huge. It's massive. And it's all unexplored. So it's like, yeah, I mean, and you could see, though, how something like this would exist in there. And that's definitely something that I want to touch on. Now, uh, in your book, you have wonderful pictures as well. Uh, And you do have uh, the drawing of this animal for the uh, audio only audience. Check the video in the show notes. There it is. As well as um, there is Jose Miguel uh, Pierre Gomez's uh, picture. Now, um, that right there does look like a neck sticking out like a nessie photo and so it's so interesting that you included these in here and i'm, I'm grateful that you did now even this hermit uh was a latvian hermit uh that ended up being a famous explorer in his own right which is fascinating exactly. yeah like he's a whole he's a character let's just say that he's a very interesting person he's a you know he was the first person ever to reach angel falls by foot that's his big claim to fame and he basically lived right out in the jungle like right by this mountain all his life and uh he's a very interesting character he has some the thing about him is he says some wild stuff like he says he saw this dinosaur he says a few other kind of weird things he saw up there and you wonder like is this guy nuts but he also says some stuff that is absolutely 100 percent true like he says oh i saw this certain fox up there and it wasn't until years later they actually found this exact fox living up on the mountain so he says all this stuff that's true so it kind of puts it into context and you have to wonder was everything he said true or you know who knows but certainly when it comes to the dinosaur he has been fully vindicated at this point there has been enough other people who have seen it in my opinion. And I agree with you. Now, uh, also in the book, uh, you had, this is the shot from his cabin, from the hermit's cabin. And that's the um, mesa there in the background. Uh, So this is where he lives. And so, yeah, you can see. Yeah, that's the river he lives on. I think that's a shot really close to his cabin. I can't say for sure because I haven't been there myself. But yeah, Jose Miguel Perey Gomez provided a bunch of photos for me for the book, which is awesome. Yeah, that's and one it, he took. For right, and it, and it does note in here that it's not far. So this is basically just his view, which is very, very, yeah. very interesting. So even that, man, it had a second interesting Latvian. I need to research Latvia more. We have two cases yeah. now uh, of incredible Latvians coming from out of their country to come be amazing. Uh, Edley Scallion, who built um, Coral Castle in Florida, was this was the first one. That oh, comes yes, he's Latvian. I, yep. I didn't realize that. But yeah, I they know... They know some shit. We we need to figure out what's going on in Latvia. Um, something else in the water over there. Something cool's going on. So, uh, it it, like I said, the the story is fascinating, man. And so let's let's talk about what a cryptid is. So, just for the audience's sake, man, what is a cryptid? So, a cryptid can be anything. It's a creature that has not yet been discovered, and that covers everything from Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster are the classic examples, but. There's hundreds of them, you know, people say they see weird stuff all the time. And uh, so a cryptid is anything that science has not proven the existence of, but is still speculated about or is seen by people, basically. Yeah, and this in this whole area is so uninhabitably unexplored that it's insane. Uh, the cave system that you talk about in your book, the Aramari Uinta, uh, that yeah, is like, yeah. please uh, tell us about that. 
Um, yeah, the cave system, they've discovered that this whole like area, this whole mountain is crisscrossed and basically filled with amazing caves. And uh, this cave system in particular, um, it's the largest quartz sandstone cave system in the world. That's amazing, you know. It's uh, That means that its geology has stayed the same for millions of years, like these cave systems do not form quickly. It's a very, very, very slow process. So now what I what I thought was maybe this animal lives within the cave systems and then it comes to the surface and, you know, comes out for a while. But, you know, I don't have any proof of that, but it is interesting that there's massive amounts of caves in the area. Well, and the correlation between those caves being the oldest, being, I mean, ancient, as far as we're yeah. concerned, that could house some hidden ecosystems. And and when we talk about hidden ecosystems, scientists and explorers are finding these all the time. Uh, the oh, cave, yeah. The cave um, in Vietnam is one of the f- most fascinating ones. Have you ever heard exactly. of that? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I was going to bring that up, too. Uh, you know, that's another classic lost world scenario. You have this very, very remote jungle. It's like completely uninhabited it's very hard to get to and in the early 90s when they actually started exploring this jungle in vietnam they found a couple crazy animals including a giant deer that has never been seen by the world and it was a brand new species and you think how is it possible that a very large animal has been living on this planet all this time and no one has ever seen it there's a bunch of crazy stuff like that, and it it makes you wonder what else is out there, definitely. This is what's so exciting about this and why I'm so grateful that you and I have connected is because this uh, gave me that childlike wonder. Uh, just thinking about this, reading your book, uh, just thinking about the experience of something like this and exploring some of these cave systems, it this in my mind could be completely plausible because like you said, like you said in Vietnam, we're, we're finding stuff like this and especially where this is located. Uh, you've got a really nice, lush, warm, tropical, abundant climate with all sorts of great resources there. And it's very challenging to navigate. So for a human being right now, there's also been evidence of some like miniature native people up there about three foot tall. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's yeah, that's an interesting thing. The hermit we were talking about, he was the one who reported, oh, I I was walking up there and I fell and I tripped. And when I woke up, I was by this giant cave. You know, now we know those are real. So then he says, oh, I saw these three foot tall little people and they were kind of like watching me. And I think he has said in some other places that he actually has been into their cave and they have like this underground city, whether or not that's true, you know, who can know, but I will tell you something fascinating that I did not put in my book, but so the astronaut, uh, Neil Armstrong, the first guy on the moon, allegedly, when he got back from the moon, he started reading some Eric Von Daniken, apparently, uh, in specific the book the gold of the gods and so he got it in his head like after having been to space that aliens must be living on earth and he read that book and that book talks about a hidden underground library so um it's supposed to be like the hall of records or something that was from a previous civilization or aliens and supposed to be in this cave in ecuador so 
Neil Armstrong, he goes on an expedition to find this thing. He goes into the cave of Ecuador. He doesn't find it. Guess where he goes next? He goes to Angel Falls. And he goes and in search of this hidden city or this hall of records. And uh, there's not very much information about that expedition. Like no one really seems to be talking about it. I actually didn't learn about it until I had finished writing my book. So it's uh, it's interesting. Now, apparently he strongly believed that there is something to this idea of underground cities. Now, whether or not they're true, I can't say. I, I have no idea, but it is something to think about. You have to wonder. It's so interesting. And then when you talk about like the Hopi or the ant people or these people that live in these subterranean areas and these legends of that, yeah. that there have been uh, civilizations that have done this. And if nothing else, there was some ancient human civilizations here that escaped cataclysm on the surface of Earth by escaping to caves, allegedly, as the legends go, right? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's been documented. You know, the place in Turkey, they have... Uh, all underground cities and people say they're just insanely old and they might have been used for people escaping some kind of cataclysm, whether it be a flood or solar flare or something along that nature, who knows, but you're right, Brandon, there is actually stories of, you know, an underworld in almost every single culture on earth. It's a, uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. And, you know, it kind of connects into the whole, hollow earth theory, but whether or not that's real, um, I, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but it is true that it's talked about everywhere. Like everywhere has legends about this. That's what, that's what in my mind is so interesting about it, uh, is that there does seem to be a habitable area down there for whatever. It, it seems that it's pretty pervasive. And yes, like you said, all uh, legend stories, um, Admiral Byrd even talked about this, the polar openings when he was exploring. The, oh, yeah. Something took a hold of his aircraft and let him in and there were civilizations and high technology. And he spoke of what we would consider dinosaurs or cryptids down there as well. Even right, um, right. lush green valleys as he was flying over what should have been a frozen tundra uh, and uh, woolly mammoths and stuff walking around down there. So there's something going on. Uh, do you think oh, that? Yeah. Do you think that this has been deliberately covered up, or that it, they're just a bunch of dummies and we haven't figured it out yet? Well, um, the Admiral Bird and Antarctica situation. Here's what I will say about that. So, in July or in 1947, they launched Operation High Jump, and they sent about 4,000 troops to Antarctica. And my whole question is. Why do you need that many military? Like they had warships, airplanes. It was a massive military deployment and it was supposed to be a scientific ex expedition. Why do you need that many soldiers? What is going on here? And the other factor is for a long time on Google Earth, the very top of the Antarctica pole, it was blacked out. There's nothing there. And recently it's just whited out now so it's a little more in like less conspicuous, but when it comes down to it, it's a no fly zone. No one's allowed to fly their planes there. Um, when you look at it from space, there's always clouds, like always, it's just how it is. So no one really knows what's, what's actually there. So it's very well possible. There can be something like that's all, that's all I can say. You know, I think it's possible. You're absolutely right. And most of the, 
uh, pictures, videos, uh, anything that I've seen of what they're calling Antarctica in the North Pole or the polar regions, uh, I've never seen cloudy. It's always sunny and bright and gorgeous, or it's just a blizzard right. and looking miserable. So there's kind of no in between, but I know it's not cloudy 100% of the time. So exactly to what you just said, I completely agree. There are some interesting things going on there. Now, uh, it does sound like it's being deliberately hidden. So do you feel, why do you think it's being hidden? Um, uh, that's a good question. You know, um, you can only speculate, but that's fine. We're okay with that. You know, the whole idea is that down inside this hollow earth, if you want to call it that there's beings down there, there's supposed to be, you know, whether they're, humans who escaped some cataclysm or whether it's aliens, there's supposed to be something down there that does not fit within our current mainstream paradigm of reality. Let's call it that. So just the fact itself that these caverns or these inner worlds exist, that's something that shouldn't exist in and of itself. So, you know, I can only speculate again, but if these, if these caves and these, this inner earth is real, there's something there. You know, there has to be. It's not just empty. That's why I think. I, I think so, too. I think uh, you and I think uh, alike on this. So I'm in agreement with you. Yeah. So I, it's a fascinating subject. It is such a fascinating subject. Because then, like I said, the mind just goes nuts with it. It's like, okay, well, you yeah. know. Uh, and the whole hollow earth thing, I thought an interesting point that Alex Collier made one time. He's like, you wouldn't live on the roof of a house. You live inside the house. And so we basically, that's that's saying that us who live on the surface live on the roof of a house. And then it's way better and safer and more climate controlled and just way cooler in general inside the house. And who knows? Uh, maybe that's where you go when you die. You know, maybe you advance to that place and then you still kind of have access here. We don't know. And we speculate widely and we're, we're fine with that. Uh, so tell me about your Bigfoot encounter. Okay, so, yeah, so um, I have had a crazy experience, and uh, this might be why the reason that I am into all these subjects, it's kind of like once you experience something like this, it changes your perception. It's like a, let's just say there's lots of people who research these things, but they don't really know for sure. But once it happens to you, there's no doubt in your mind. So, you know, maybe... Maybe that's why I am obsessed with all these topics. I don't know. But you know that something like that is real. Then who knows what else could be real that is not supposed to be real. So anyway, back to my story. I was in the sixth grade. So me and my uh, two friends, they're camping out at my house. And I, my parents lived in the uh, woods of Southern Oregon. And we have a big backyard with a giant trampoline. And uh, so we decided to camp out on the trampoline. So in my backyard, like it's way out in the woods and the mountains, the house is on a flat area. Behind me, 20 feet is the house. Then over to my left, 20 feet, the ground slopes down at about 45 degrees. And uh, so we're out there, it's getting dark. And I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in the woods, but the woods make noise. Like you always hear stuff in the woods. So this time we kept on hearing some footsteps and they sounded like footsteps to us. Like it would come from a long distance away. You would hear crunch, crunch, and then it would stop. And, you know, we're wondering like, 
is this our mind playing tricks on us? We, you don't know, but anyway, we're getting freaked out. You know, we're kids, but it's exciting. It's interesting. And we hear the footsteps for about two hours and it's always from a slightly different direction. So it's like, you don't know what's really going on when you're hearing that. And I don't really know how it's possible looking back other than there is more than one of these Bigfoots. But um, anyway, we, we hear footsteps and we're getting very scared. We're thinking about going inside and calling it a night. But finally, to my left, the hill, it slopes down and we hear this incredibly, incredibly loud noise. It sounds to me like a tree being snapped, a small tree. It's like crack it's it's crazy it it's insanely loud and then we hear this is down the hill a little bit we hear something running up the hill very fast very loud it sounds like it has two legs crash 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 it runs up the hill when it gets to the top of the hill 20 feet to my left it lets out what i can only describe as a blood curdling screech very high pitched screech and uh this I, I don't really know how to describe it other than I've kind of said to people, it sounded like a velociraptor in Jurassic Park. It's like very fast, very high pitched, very loud. So at that point, me and my friends, we run for our lives. You know, we're, we're terrified. It was dark. We didn't see what it was. You know, we just run for our lives. We're back in the house in a second and we lock the door and freak out, you know? And so, um, Looking back on that experience, I can on, only tell you this, Brandon, it was not a bear. It was not any animal that is supposed to be out there. The only thing it could have been would be a mountain lion because mountain lions do make very loud screeching noises. But the thing is, it sounded incredibly, incredibly loud. The way this thing moved, it ran you think a mountain lion would be stealthy and quiet, but no, this thing, to me, it sounded like something that was very big, very heavy, that was trying to scare us. I don't know why, but the other thing is, now that I know more about Bigfoot and stuff, um, the snapping of the tree, that's what is sometimes called a super knock. And what that is, a Bigfoot, will do that, it will snap a little tree and that's something it does to scare you. It does this as an intimidation tactic, basically. And you know, there's not very many like vocalizations of the high pitched screech, but that has been talked about and people usually say it's when a Bigfoot is behaving very, very aggressively and wants you to get out of there, that's what it will do. So. Now it all kind of clicks to me and, you know, you have to think about what is the most likely explanation? What's the easiest answer? To me, it's a Bigfoot. Everything about that points to a Bigfoot. And, you know, I have no other explanation for it. Well, and you live out there, you know, the, the, the noises that occur, you know, what animals sound like. I mean, clearly you've ruled, ruled a few things out. Now, can you rule your parents out? My dad scared the crap out of oh. me in the woods one time <laughs> at night. Okay. No, no, I, I, no, it's, it wasn't my parents. They were asleep. Like they, they, it, they wouldn't do anything like that to us. Did they, and, hear uh, the, did they hear the screech? No, they, they didn't actually, but um, no. Yeah. It's like mountain lions, you know, 
they they live out there and we all know that they're there like but have you seen one i've only seen one with my own eyes in my wild in the wild once in my life only for a split second i saw a mountain lion but you know that's me i grew up out in the woods and i have only seen one one time and you know we all know they're out there but no one has seen one but that's that's an animal that we all know is real everyone accepts that mountain lion is real so think about a bigfoot bigfoot has to be way way more rare than a mountain lion there's probably like one twentieth or one hundredth of the population of a bigfoot so when it comes down to it yeah bigfoots could be real they could be out there but they're just so rare that no one hardly anyone has seen one and it's also you have to think about their intelligence they're they might be closely related to humans so everything i've heard about them indicates that they have this high level of intelligence and they don't want to be seen they stay away from people normally so you know who knows but i certainly i think it was a bigfoot and that's i will stick to that until i die that's that's awesome we'll we'll take it because that, that like i said you've ruled it out you've you've got uh you've got it taken care of there so what there there's a lot of different explanations of what people think bigfoot is and of course it's all speculation are, are you in a particular camp um sure yeah i i think that bigfoot you know there's been some dna tests they've found footprints and they've collected little samples of hair and everything i have heard about the tests are it's an unknown hominid it's an unknown type of human or ape-like creature and that's the closest we can come to saying what they are and you know i i've heard a lot of other people they talk about the paranormal bigfoot and you know bigfoots that can cloak themselves or they will just disappear like they can have this crazy ability to camouflage themselves and you know I don't know what to think about that, but I know it's a real animal and perhaps this real animal can do things that would seem like magic to us. Like perhaps they have some kind of camouflage built into their fur, or perhaps here's another theory, perhaps they are very intelligent and even more psychic than we are. They might have the ability to, you know, mess with our heads a little bit let's just say that's what i think yeah like the grays or something like that now you hear stories of people talking about um, them in conjunction with extraterrestrials or non-human intelligences and even things that look like humans like the pleiadians or sure. you know uh, grays or something like that so there does seem to be some of that going on and from the reports of contactees and abductees we know that uh or we're, we're told that they can manipulate your mind as well. They can put screen memories in, they can, they can do things. So even with Bigfoot's link to non-human intelligences, it kind of denotes that there's a bit of what we would call magic or woo-woo in there. So uh, it, it's, it's very interesting, man. So uh, have you ever found any Bigfoot tracks or anything like that? Oh, you know, I haven't found one myself, but I live pretty close to the um, North American Bigfoot Museum. It's out here in boring Oregon, and I live in Oregon City, like a half hour away. And they have probably the largest collection of tracks anywhere in the world, from what I have been told. And, you know, it's very impressive. It's an awesome place. It's uh, the guy from 
the show Finding Bigfoot. He's the curator and, you know, he's amassed a massive amount of footprints. So, you know, you go there, you see the footprints. They're real, you know. It's all stuff that would be very, very difficult to fake. Like, you have to have a knowledge of anatomy. Like, there's these things in your foot, like the heel, the way it imprints in the ground. A lot of these footprints, like, how do you do that if you don't know actual foot anatomy? You know what I mean? So it's very compelling. I mean, the answer to that, of course, is somebody does know foot anatomy that can make a caster or something well, that looks incredibly sure. realistic. I'm with you. We're just covering both sides of it here. But yeah, I'm with you. Sure. I, I think that there's definitely something going on to, to this. So uh, there is a guy who had claimed, and I'm sure you've seen this, to have killed a Bigfoot or found a carcass. And he like cut the head off and the foot and he froze it. And then he'd bring it out on his uh, picnic table outside every now and then and kind of show it off. I think that that was proven to be fake, but I honestly can't tell. Um, the question for you, though, is, is why do you think that we don't find bodies or do we find bodies and we're just not told it? Well, the thing about bodies is. OK, I have, I have a theory about this and I could be totally wrong, but we say Bigfoots are very intelligent creatures. Perhaps it's something akin to an elephant graveyard. Perhaps they have a place or they go to die, and it's somewhere that we haven't discovered. No, it's very well possible. Uh, the other thing is, you know, for something to actually fossilize and become bones that don't just naturally decay, like it, it's actually pretty rare. Like most animals that die out in the woods, they will completely decompose in, you know, 100 years or so. I don't know exactly, but... You know, it's actually pretty rare that you'll get fossils, but the closest thing that I could think would be the creature called a Gigantopithecus, which people usually say that could be Bigfoot, and it fits the general size, the shape, the description. And that thing was alive only about 100,000 years ago, and that's actually not a long time. Humans were alive back then, so... It's very possible that one of those could have just lived a lot longer than anyone knew about. You know, just because that's the last fossil doesn't mean that's the last time they were around on the planet. It's a great point. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, and then, yes, there are people that find fossils of all kinds of stuff. Now, I also wanted to ask you about the Thunderbird uh, from Native American lore. And they also allegedly um, shot a bunch of these in the, I think, what, early 1800s, something like that. Uh, there were settlers that were traveling west and that would allegedly, you know, yeet a few of these things and they have them all stretched out. Uh, what do you think of that? Um, I think it could be real. You know, there there's, you know, just an insane amount of stories, myths, legends and accounts of these giant birds. You know, where are they? I don't know. Maybe they have gone extinct. Maybe maybe they migrated somewhere. I, I can't give you an answer, but, you know, I don't I don't see any reason why not. They couldn't be real. Like, it's just a bird. It's just a big bird. Right. Like, <laughs> Well, they look like uh, pterosaurs, I think. Uh, the the like actual pterodactyl. Type oh, okay. Thing, You're like talking big... about the pterodactyl ones. Yeah. Um, oh man. Um, you know I've heard stories, and don't get me wrong, they can be real. I have a theory that the Jersey Devil could be a pterosaur because oh, they describe that one as this 
creature with wings that like flies around. It's really big and scary, but that one lives in New Jersey and sure that could be a pterodactyl. And there's also the Ropin. It lives in Papua New Guinea and that's a very well-known story as well. That one could be real too. Um, then we have the famous civil war photograph. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but um, it's this old time photograph. It shows these civil war soldiers and they're standing over the body of a pterodactyl and the actual photo, I think it was found like decades ago before CGI, like supposedly, but it only surfaced online, you know, within the last 20 years. So, you know, people have done analysis. They said, look, like this is a exact prosthetic dinosaur used in some TV show. But, you know, I, I, I leave that one up in the air. You know, I, I can't really say for sure. There's been some very good debunking of it. So, yeah, you know, I, I can't really say for sure. But, you know, there are some other stories out there that I 100% do think are real. We can get into that in a while if you want. But, you know, yeah, I can't say I can't say if the pterosaurs are real or not. I just I just don't know. I'm open to it, though. That's okay. It sounds amazing. And yes, there are actually several pictures. The Civil War one that you're talking about, but there are several of different time periods, allegedly. Again, we we know that we can't really say this is totally real. I just think it's cool. It's super cool. No, it's a it's a cool picture. Like if it's a hoax, it's one of the coolest hoaxes ever made. Let's just say that. Yeah. And who's, who's to say that they didn't make the uh, version for the TV show anatom- uh, anatomically correct based on the photo to fake you out? You That's- know what I mean? That's a good point. That's, you know, I haven't thought about that, that, but could be, you could be right. There's all sorts know. of, all sorts of controlled opposition on both sides, which I want to get to with, to you with in here in just a second, but tell me about the cases that you find to be genuine. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, my thing is, you know, researching dinosaur cryptids. I, I just love dinosaurs. So I've looked at lots of cases and you know, most of them are just like kind of these one-off things or maybe like some people have seen them, but there's no evidence. And, you know, they're they're from all over the world. We have lots of cases, but to me, there's two that stand out as being very, very likely to be true. The first one I could talk about is actually um, one that 100% is real. There is something, it's proven. And that would be the creature called Champ in Lake Champlain in uh, Virginia. And uh, it's this lake that borders on Canada. So uh, that one, I will state for you guys, as a matter of fact, it's real. There is something there. And uh, how do we know this? Well, let me backtrack a bit. You know, Lake Champlain is a giant lake. It's huge. And uh, for as long as people have lived there, there have been the stories eyewitness accounts, hundreds and hundreds of people have seen something weird in the water there. And so um, I think it was back in either the 80s or early 90s, there was a researcher out there who did some experiments with underwater microphones and she drops in some microphones and she's recording, seeing what, trying to find Champ, you know, and she comes across 
a very strange noise. It's like this rapid clicking noise. She can't identify it. And, you know, later on she realizes this is echolocation. This sounds exactly like echolocation. So, you know, um, the TV show Monster Quest, if you want to watch season one, episode one, you can hear it for yourself. They play the recordings she gets and uh, she gets them all over the lake, not just one spot. And then fast forward to, I want to say 10 years later, there's another History Channel special. They try to find Champ and they do the same thing. They drop in the microphones and an actual scientist this time is doing it and they record the same thing. They record this crazy echolocation. And so you look up Champ on the internet, that's all you will find about it. But I'm here to tell you there's one more instance and maybe the best one. So in uh, 2020, another show comes out on the Travel Channel. This show is called, called Paranormal Declassified. And the guy, Paul Bebin is his name. He's an investigative journalist. He he does an episode about lake monsters. So of course he goes to Lake Champlain and he gets a hydrophone, an underwater microphone, and he drops it in the lake and he leaves it there for 24 hours. And then he pulls, pulls it up to see what's there. And uh, he's going through the audio and he finds it. There's the click, 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 click. It's very distinctive. He's like, oh my God, what is this? So. He takes it to a forensic audio analyst and the analyst, you know, they're, that's the type of people who are hired by law enforcement. They're, it's their job to identify any, any sound in the world. And they say there is only one audio signature on earth that this matches and that would be a beluga whale echolocating. And so that's a theory about Champ that it's, oh, it's, it could be a beluga whale or it could be a freshwater dolphin. Those do exist in the Amazon. But um, the thing about that is I think if it were one of these freshwater dolphins, we would know about it. Dolphins are very intelligent. They're very social and curious animals. They will not remain hidden. They will go right up to any boat or any person in the water and check them out. So a beluga whale, I don't know for sure whether the beluga whales are quite so curious. And it is possible, it is very possible that Champ could be like a beluga whale because the lake itself used to connect to the ocean. And then during the last ice age, it, it was closed off from the ocean. So it's possible a beluga whale could be closed off and just has survived or, you know, a population of them, I should say. That's very possible. But the thing is, I, I'm not sold on a beluga whale because every person who's ever see, seen Champ always describes Champ as a, you know, reptile with a long neck and the flippers, you know, uh, there's, there is one photograph of Champ that is probably the best photograph of any supposed dinosaur ever. It's very clear, like it's unmistakable. You guys can look it up. It's called the Mansi photograph. You know, it's, it's always what pops up first when you type in champ. So yeah, that one, 
that one is for sure real. There is something there that produces echolocation. What it is, I can't say for sure, but I, I'm open to the possibility it could be a dinosaur. I see no reason why it couldn't be. It's something. It's interesting. And I mean, you talk about these uh, isolated ecosystems as well as uh, I think uh, Loch Ness is crazy, right? Doesn't it have, yeah, doesn't Loch it connect? Ness. Yeah. Like the Loch, Loch itself. Loch Ness is a, yeah, it's a large lake and it was connected to the ocean at one point and then it got closed off. So, you know, Loch Ness is very interesting too. Um, you know, Loch Ness, I can't, I can't tell you for sure. I can't say for sure either, but there has have been some weird things like found on the sonar. They found these large, large formations. It could be a big school of fish, but you know, I don't know about Loch Ness. I think if there were a plesiosaurus or something like that, we might've seen it by now. There have been good, very good videos, very good pictures, but you know, I want the hard proof, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on in Loch Ness, to be honest. Well, you know. it was just to point out the craziness of the environment, because yeah. you're absolutely right. There are some interesting things as far as environmentally that these things uh, do. And we have heard of cases of animals being thrust into an environment that they're not uh, acclimatized to, but then adjusting, uh, like a whale in a freshwater right. after being, you know, if the salinity is kind of balanced out just right or whatever. I mean, there's all sort. you know, what is it from Jurassic Park? Life finds a way, right? Yeah, so I, sure. I want to know uh, about your aunt. So tell us the significance of uh, the perception of your aunt in result to your story. Yeah, uh, my aunt, her name was Antonia Tejada Flores, and she was a paleontologist, and she studied dinosaurs. She studied Ice Age creatures specifically, and uh, she worked for years out of the La Brea tar pit in uh, California. And, you know, she she excavated the area. They helped find all these amazing things. And her most significant discovery was um, she actually found the larynx of a saber-toothed tiger. And that's the like the vo bone that goes in your voice area, your voice box. And through her discovery, they were able to prove the saber-toothed tiger can roar like a lion and it can purr like a cat. So that was an amazing discovery that she contributed to. They, they kind of found that stuff out after her death, but it's also weird where she found the larynx. It wasn't out in the field. It wasn't digging up bones. She found it in a little shoebox tucked away in the archives of the Museum of Natural History in Los Angeles. Uh, it was just this sh little shoebox full of bones just sitting in storage with all the other storage of all the other bones. And, you know, someone had dug it up and they didn't know what it was. She dug it up and she immediately knew what it was. She knew the significance. So I think that's just a kind of interesting thing. And, you know, it tells you a lot about museums. Like a lot of museums around the world are probably the same way. They probably have vast amount of stuff in storage in their archives you know, it's just sitting there collecting dust and it just takes the right person to come along and see this one thing and know what it is. And I'm sure there's tons of stuff like that that are in every museum in the world that's just sitting there and no one really knows what it is or why it's important. 
So, you know, she was an inspiration to me, definitely. You know, uh, she is one of the most intelligent people, you know, I've ever met. So, you know, she has now passed away. But, yeah, she was a big influence for sure. So what do you think about a possible cover-up and that uh, paleontologists and the Smithsonian and everybody's just kind of in on it in a way to hide not only what's really going on here, but the history that would lead us to know what's really going on here? Do you think that there's anything to that? Uh, yeah, I, I actually do. Uh, I think, you know, I think the Smith Smithsonian in particular is um, involved in cover-up of giants, and we talked about this earlier, you know, there's been literally thousands and thousands of reports of giants, mainly from, you know, the early 20th, 20th century. Like there's just all these articles, all these photos, all these newspaper clippings, people dug up giants all over the place. Apparently they found them on almost every continent. They found a bunch of them in America. This was widely reported at the beginning of the uh, 20th, 20th century. And what you hear is basically what, what happened to all these finds. They were sent to the Smith, Smithsonian and uh, then they disappeared. So, yeah, I actually do think there is something going on. I think there is a cover up. You know what? Why they would do that, I am not sure. And how deep it goes, I can't say either, but like all conspiracies or cover-ups, this is probably something done by a small group of people. You know, it's not like every scientist out there, or archaeologist is in on this conspiracy. Like you, most of these people have a lot of integrity, are very intelligent, like my aunt. She, you know, she would never do something like that or be involved in something like that. So I think... Yeah, there probably is some very small group of people out there who are, I guess, have pretty much successfully pulled it off and tried to conceal these finds from us. It's interesting. And it doesn't even seem like they uh, like attempted. It seems like they did it deliberately. So I'm right there with you. Uh, NASA is another one of these examples that, of course, everybody would know what's really going on. You just tell them, hey, you're building this for to go into space and they build it their, to their best ability based on their training and the... I'm going to call it indoctrination or training from the colleges because everybody's in on this thing, right? So you're only going to get taught how to apply this mentality to what you're presented and nothing else outside that box. And actually, you're going to be scrutinized and get your tenure pulled if you even look at it like that. So it's interesting. Right. And even even the reprimands for someone actually doing actual science, which may be to debunk the whole damn thing and still a living professor that based his life on this stuff, it's... Too bad, man, you know, because the people who wait until everyone dies off so that their name isn't tarnished, that whole mentality, uh, I think, has set us back generation after generation just on that one idea alone. So uh, I agree with you, man. The mystery continues. Uh, so Ben Tejada Ingram, your book, of course, uh, The Last Dinosaur of the Lost World, will be linked down in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming by and hanging out with us, man. I got to get you back on. We'll probably do a cryptid well, thank panel. thank you, Brandon. Yeah, of course. I, I we'll probably do a cryptid panel pretty soon, and I want to get you on. Oh, and, um That will be fun. We haven't really touched on cryptids here on the show yet, and I've it's been something I've been wanting to do. So I'm grateful that you came by to be our first uh, cryptid talk about her. I, I have lots more to talk about, so I will be happy to come back and tell you guys more.
Well, beautifully. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we will uh, save it for next time. But dude, you're amazing. Thank you so much. And again, guys, all of the ways to find him will be linked down in the show notes. Check out the book. The story is incredible. And uh, Ben, thank you so much again, brother. Well, thank you, Brandon. I had a great time and I really appreciate the invite. Your show is amazing. I appreciate it. A huge thanks and an awesome shout out to Ben for joining us for this amazing conversation, guys. We will definitely have him back on. We just skimmed the surface of his knowledge of cryptid, so he will definitely be back. All the ways, though, in the meantime, for you guys to connect with him is going to be located down in the show notes. Make sure you check out Anomaly Hunter on Instagram. Very, very cool. Also located down in the show notes will be our affiliate links, Food Forest Abundance, Libsyn if you want to start your own podcast, and of course, if you're going to buy anything on Amazon, run it through our link please and thank you. It helps the show. So also, if you'd like to expand your experience with us here, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com linked in the show notes. Also, Uh, that is going to be where links to Rockfin, all the lives are replayed there that we do on Rockfin, all the merchandise, um, socials, all that kind of stuff, guys. And we are moving over all of the videos from YouTube since they're being a little booger bear. And so you guys can check those out there for free as well. So uh, go out into this beautiful, beautiful, mysterious place full of all kinds of stuff that we have no idea what's going on. And y'all just uh, pick up a piece of litter while you're out there, uh, buy somebody in line around you or near you a coffee or a water or something like that. If they're charging for water, just buy it for them and give it to them. Uh, It makes massive ripple effects out into the collective, and that's really, really cool. So, of course, be nice to everybody that you come across. You don't even have to buy them something. Just smile, open doors, uh, just be nice. Like I said, it goes a long, long, long way. Also, of course, get out of the left-hand lanes, pain in the butt, if you got somebody behind you wanting to pass there. And above all, and anything else, as always, guys, go out into this beautiful, mysterious, amazing place, whatever it is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.